When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down and I never stayed down. And I was vicious and I was malicious and I don't care. <laughs> Hey, how are you? Jay, how are you, pal? Good to see you, buddy. How are you? I'm very good. Very good. Uh, Say hi to Tim Stapleton, Jay. Hi there. Hi there, Tim. What's up? Nice to meet you. Thanks for coming on. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Jay, um, Tim played a little bit for the Maple Leafs, uh, which, you know, I... I have to mention that because, like, the fucking Maple Leafs. Because I'm going to mention it if he does it. <laughs> so, like, don't worry. You'll, you'll, you'll know. Amazing. Well, lovely to meet you. Let's get back to your living room yeah. when you're a kid and the Habs are on. What is that like? Is it total chaos? Is it, like, yeah. passion? Uh, the, the love of the organization, Montreal Canadiens, yeah. it really comes through, obviously, in, in your book. And I, I read your book. Yes. And just what is that like for, I, I guess, for the people? Get, yeah. Give them a little window into that living room, if you could. Yeah, yeah. So it is like, it's like, you know, whenever someone's like, how long have, you know, when, do you remember the first time or any of that shit that you, you, you watch the Habs or something like that? I say. Do you remember the first time that you saw sunlight? Like it was just, it's just, just ever present in my life was typically my dad, often my dad and my mom in front of the TV watching the guys in red um, beating the bad guys, <laughs> you know? And I, I, I like, so what that typically was like was like, you know, my dad would, um, he liked the commentary on the radio better than it was on TV. So he would find it on TV and then he would turn on our like hi-fi thing that he built him put together, you know, that one of those great old school like late 70s early 80s ones with every beautiful knob and he would like he would uh, put on the radio to match the screen on TV. Um yeah, and then he would just curse a blue streak through three periods of hockey every every <laughs> every single game without fail. Like I, I, there's a reason I put in my book that like that Christmas Eve that he fucked up of ours were like, (laughs) you know, my, 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 my mom has my sister and I in the other room reading, you know, the twice the night before Christmas and, and the gift of the Magi to us. And my dad's watching the Habs in their bedroom. And, and, yeah, it, it was like in in a, in a crazy weird bit of like comic timing in a music that was entirely like as if God had a sense of humor. My mom would read a line and then my dad would swear at the game and it timed out fucking perfectly where she would go "Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. God damn it. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. You fucking lazy fuck. Shit. Call the fucking blow the fucking whistle, skate you fucking prick, you know whatever. And um, I I just did you know when when that's all your dad ever says, you know it doesn't strike you as a as noticeable or or a thing that you'd even mention. It's just like it's just like the same as like the plumbing going on or or whatever or you know it's just one of those sounds that's always. A, but then you know you have your friends over and you have your friends do double takes or. My mother just constantly mortified and my dad screaming at the top of his fucking lungs. And, um, yeah. So it was just like, it was always around. My dad painted all my shit. Bleu Blanc Rouge. <laughs> I like, you know, we moved to Ontario for five years, like, and not just Ontario. Like we moved to the fucking heart of the GTA. We moved to the, like, like, like Oshawa is Leafs fan central, man. And, and like they grow on trees there. And my parents sent me to school every day in winter in a Habs jacket and wearing a Habs toque <laughs> and shit. And, like, I got shit on mercilessly every year until a certain until a certain 1993. It was just, like, it was just one of these things where I, I there was never a time where the Habs weren't the thing in my house. And there was never a time when they weren't the greatest sports team in in the history of the world. And, 
I've said it so much now that I've turned it into my own cliche, but I just, I honestly don't know how else to describe it other than a kind of like religious thing. Like, like how, how do you describe what Catholicism is to your family or like, or in my case, like what the church is to my mom's family, what Judaism is to my dad's like, like it started long before I was born. It will continue long after I'm gone. It, it is the thing that united my family. It's how we identified ourselves. It was like, you know, our traditions, everything, blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and so it's just like now with my own personal issues with my dad and having to kind of find an identity of my own, I kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater for, for some years, you know, there was years where I could have just as easily been watching the Habs, um, it, without anything to do with my dad, I could have enjoyed it with my friends and I, and I just didn't because I had decided, you know, years prior hockey's dad's thing. Movies are my thing. Never the twain shall meet. Um, you know, and then of course I go on and I make a bunch of movies about hockey, which is like, it's not an accident. <laughs> I just think about how many times people have probably yelled at the screen and they were yelling at me. <laughs> <laughs> like stay, you know like we're like they're like wishy you know like, like i i missed a wide open net and it fucked you over under like whatever you know because i've been a fan before but how, how what's your take on the habs today oh god um <laughs> well like it's it's such a crazy insane league crazy insane past few years uh where i like was at game four at the fucking bell center Last summer with my wife, like with like, I I watched the Habs play in the Stanley <laughs> Cup, which is like crazy, uh, you know. A not a thing I ever necessarily thought I'd live to see. B to to let me tell you to have been there in person and then to watch the first half, you know the the Ducharme half of this year. Good Jesus, like what a like. Hard, hard to reconcile. Like, obviously, a whole bunch of reasons. We all know the reasons, but just to like, yeah, bl bloody, un uh, unpleasant, and and not fun. Um, God, they're fun as hell now, though. What, what a, what a wonderful. It's not just the vibe and the energy. It's also the the type of hockey they play, man. You know, because I, 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 I win winning is the thing, but also. It's not warfare. It's still a sport. And so you should win in a way that is like a fucking fun way to watch, right? Like, like th there are coaches that I don't need to throw under the bus who have coached our team that have records that you cannot dispute. Those are coaching records that anybody would hire, right? Like wins to losses, absolutely no unquestionable black and white. And yet... And yet, 82 games feel like 178, right? Like, like because of the, you know, in, in, in neutral zone, dump and chase, trap. whatever. Maybe uh, a little fuck. trap here and there. Yeah, you know, and it's just like, who the fuck wants to sit through that, man? It just is like, you know, the season's too freaking long anyway. Right. And uh, so anyway, so we play fun, exciting hockey. The boys all look psyched to be there. And <laughs> and the, the like we don't now we don't have a true sample size of what this organization looks like, what their decision making is like. Like we don't know the summer or, or whatever you call you know, we, we will whatever the postseason to come is going to be when we kind of really know what this head office looks like, what they give a shit about the habits they're trying to create. But so far it's been incredibly encouraging. Yeah. I mean, the Habs and to Tim's question and you know what? I, I think it's, I scored against the Habs, by the way. Sorry guys. Good. I'm Sorry. glad you did. Tim. I know you guys would have never known that, but yeah. I just had to tell you. <laughs> Good on you. I haven't. That's fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. No, no you're... there you go. Um, hey, fuck! This is why I'm on here, this is so people know I played. <laughs> <laughs> the Habs and just what's going on there. What I find fucking hilarious, Jay, is they had to bring a guy in from Boston to square this fucking mess away. Uh, <laughs> How's that, Jeff Gordon, a guy from Boston coming up here? When you talk about rivalry and talk about fucking hate each other. And you bring a guy from Boston in to square it away. And no, 
no disrespect here to Ken Hughes. Yeah, he's a Montreal guy, but yeah. transplanted down to Beantown. Yeah. Um, I think they got it going on. I think they're going to turn this thing around and, and get it going. Already got it going in the right direction. And you're right about the team. This team quit on the previous coach. We, we saw it. Guys bailed. Yeah. Um, That's what it looked like. Do you think that, and again, when I first came here, let me let me put it this way. When I first came in 79, the first referendum, okay, yeah. I did not have a clue about Montreal and the politics and all that. Yeah. And I was so naive. I could not understand for the life of me, because growing up in Boston, you know, they've yeah. got a terrible uh, history of racism, and everything to me was black and white. And I got here, and I'm there, why can't all these... White people get along. I mean, come on. I just didn't get it. I was young. I was naive. Now that I have kind of grasped that, I still, for the life of me, why, why do we have to here in Montreal have yeah. a French coach and French general manager? Do you buy into that? I do. I do. And I can explain it for me. Right. Like I, I can explain. And I, do, and I argue this with tons of friends of mine. This is obviously a big hot button issue and has been in our city my my whole life. So, but for me, it's like this: it's like if you accept that the Habs are more than a hockey team, you know, if it and and I think that they occupy um, a, a sort of amount of cultural real estate and political real estate within Canada and within Montreal specifically and in Quebec that like. No other team does where they are based in certainly not in, in, in hockey. Okay. Now this is not to say when, when I say this, people hear, Oh, Oh, the Oilers aren't a real dynasty. Oh, the Islanders aren't a real dynasty or whatever. That's not the point. Well, I'll take the Oilers as a great example. Okay. The, there is no sort of, um, there is no political revolution or movement that the Oilers are the emblem of. There, there is no kind of pro profound paradigm shift, um, in you know, in 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 a culture uh, that that the Oilers uh, sort of help trigger or are responsible for in some way. Um, the Oilers are not the emblem of some sort of 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 like a pretty huge minority group. Okay, the Oilers are a great hockey team with great hockey fans in in a, a city. I've never been to Edmonton. I can't speak to how great it is. Let's just say for the sake of my argument, it's great. Okay? Lots of great players to put that sweater on. All of this shit. Okay? But none of that means what the Habs mean to Montreal and to Quebec. Right? And this is just a history thing. Right? Like, in, in every sport, there are some teams that mean a bit more to where they're from than other teams in the league. Now, I envy teams that mean half as much because all they need to worry about is fucking winning, right? All they need or, or getting yeah. championships, right? And and the Habs have to worry about a whole bunch of other stuff as well they should though because that's what makes it so special. That's why we're allowed 20 minutes of fucking movies and old sepia <laughs> silent footage before every game. This is why our, our rafters are decked the way they are. This is why when the Habs win one game in the, in the cup last year, the, the city goes, the, the riot cops are out, right? Like you wouldn't have it any other way. Okay. Nobody else does this. Like when we lose, the town is silent. You can hear a friggin' pin drop, okay? When Vancouver loses, they, they the spoiled brats, that's when they fucking have a riot, okay? We riot when we win, right? <laughs> there, there, there is... So, I would have put the Habs in league with... In, in soccer, you have Barcelona in, in Spain. You have Celtic, Glasgow Celtic up in, in Scotland. There are certain teams that end up representing... Um, a, a sort of minority cultural group and a very important political movement um, that you don't want to go, go back to, go back from. Like we are like 50 years ago, 60 years ago, French people in Quebec, even though they were the majority there, 
they didn't own factories and they did they were they they were they they worked at the factories but all the owners were anglo okay like life was harder for them once upon a time you know the habs are connected to and representative of french canada's ability to assert itself now i'm from the english side of the city right got you i yep. i'm a fuck i would grow up as a Maroons fan if the Maroons had still existed, okay? Like, because the Habs were the French team in the war, yeah. right? Like, uh, until the Maroons had d disappeared, right? My fam, I've got a Maple Leaf, okay? I, I don't, I'm not a separatist. I, I'm not, I don't believe Quebec should be its own country. However, I respect those who do, and and I'm no fool. I grew up there. I can, I can acknowledge that they have a distinct society, and the Habs are an important part of that. So therefore, at the very least, the guy that's running the show should be able to speak in French. You know. So it's not as simple as some people think it's as simple as the coach has to be French because he has to converse every day with the fan base in, through the media, the French media. It's really not to speak to the players or anybody because there's not no, many French no. players left. No, and and you know, as as anybody that has spent time in the confines of the Bell Center or in Brossard, you hear a lot of English in that hallway, and 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 in the locker room, it's mostly English kids. So so it's not necessarily about the day to day running of the team so much as it is about. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be, this is another thing. People also get, get sort of confused or conflate this. They think that the ability to speak French is the same as being uh, a French or Francophone no, person. A good chin. No, you know, and it's gotta be, I think it just has to be somebody that's trying to speak French and looks like they give a shit about it, man. And ideally it's, so, it's, it's somebody from here that can, that has a perfect command of it, but maybe it's somebody who's like, 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 like look at Ganey. Right. Look at like, the, the, this city still loves Ganey. The yeah. city still loves Ganey. And, and that is not just because of his career. That's also because of he sort of understood and showed respect to the organization that he's, you know, representative of. Pas français. Oui, il faut. No. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, <laughs> don't, Tim. Oh, wait, call this, like, no, Tim. It's fine. Go oh, ahead. Parlez avec. Parlez avec, call this. Oh, wait, don't. I, I can't tell so, you how crazy it is, by the way, as a T.O. I can't tell you how crazy it is that Chris can sing the national anthem in French, knows <laughs> knows that shit. That, like, he speaks better French as a fucking kid from Boston than anybody here in Toronto speaks. It's crazy. Awesome to have you on today. Uh, obviously, um, a huge Habs fan, uh, writer, director. Uh, stand-up comedy, uh, you do it all. Um, I want to go back, I guess, if we can, to the beginning with you. And when we talk about how did a young Jay Baruchel yeah. get interested in acting and comedy? Oh. Yeah, all right, cool. Uh, good question. So um, I think it starts with uh, me just always having – a real big mouth. Like I, I just always had too much energy, you know? And, and, um, my mom's family, she's like six of eight kids, um, you know, six of eight Irish Catholic stereotypes. And so whenever we'd have kind of Christmas gatherings and such, I was always kind of, I don't know. I was the baby at Christmas. And so I would like get up on the coffee table and do impressions for people and stuff when I was a little kid. And so it was just kind of always one of those things. And, at like eight or nine, I said to my folks, you know, I, I, I think I want to be a director. I want to make movies when I grow up. And, you know, so that was always a kind of a goal. That was always a thing that even like predates the acting. Um, and then like we sort of flash forward to us being in Montreal and it's like 95, 94, 95. And my dad sees a brochure for like a kid's acting class like a once a week thing um and uh so they signed me up for that and there i kind of got discovered discovered i i shouldn't say discovered there, there i was just like had the chance to audition for uh, a student film that some concordia film students were making 
got the job and on that gig I met some professional actors who sort of recommended me to their agent. It's a really boring story, but it starts when I was 12 and um yeah, and just come it it stems from my dad being like you know, um, he doesn't want to go play hockey. He hated playing softball. Well, maybe this, maybe he likes to be in a church basement doing this kind of stuff. You know. I want to go back and, and talk about uh, mom and dad and where they met. And I found this in, I found this a howl because I was probably in twelve thirty four when they met, and they met at a disco in Montreal um, back in uh, the the days when Knuckles was playing here. And when when I read that in the book, I'm like, God. I, I might have been in there that night, but mom and dad meet at the disco. Uh, it's yeah. it's pretty cool story. But dad um, loved the game of hockey, and uh, he meets mom, uh, ends up, uh, you know, having two children. Your relationship uh, with your dad, I think, is something I, I want to jump into because it certainly seems like in all – father-son relationships I believe are complicated but when you look at dad and and his love of hockey and his maybe desire to steer you that way what kept you from going that way it was a simple equation for me um I have always been and as I approach 40 I'll be 40 in a few weeks I'm exactly the same way in this respect which is if I feel that something is kind of worth doing. If I get enough out of it personally, I will do whatever I have to, 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 to do a thing. Right. So, so the, like the absolute, you know, sheer joy I get from making movies, especially writing and directing them. Th there is no amount of like torture I wouldn't go through to do it. And, and, and I have to, because they're very hard things to do. It's very hard to make a movie. So it, it is a lot of, trials and tribulations to get there so when it came to anything kind of sports when I was a kid so I played two years of softball and I skated with all the other kids and shit too um I just like the 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 rare time that like I connected with the ball and hit the sweet spot or could do laps around the rink without eating it I was like, who gives a shit? Like, it just wasn't enough for me. It just wasn't, it didn't do a thing for me. I didn't get the kind of um, endorphin release I think you need to get out of it to it to keep doing it. What I did get that from is what I think a lot, from a, what a lot of kids wouldn't be caught dead doing would think was miserable, which was I was at home typing. Right. Like and it, like I loved coming up with stories in my head. I wanted nothing more than to like be in my room surrounded by my toys and comic books and shit. And I would create these whole universes in my head with heroes and villains and all these epic s sagas. Right. Like, and there, there is no, there's no game of, of, uh, of pickup down the street that can compare with that for me. So it was just a simple thing where it was like, I didn't get enough out of it to enjoy doing it. Um, and, and my father, to his credit, because I think like most kids that, you know, most kids like me with a dad like that, um, that would kind of be it. And we'd be on sort of two separate courses, you know, and my father, to his credit, just wanted me to have a thing. He would have loved for it to be his thing, but when it wasn't his thing, he saw that I had a thing. And so then he just encouraged that like crazy. And so I get my love of my of movies from from my dad as well. Was um, if you don't mind me asking, was that uh, was Serge? Was he a hero or was he a villain? That's a that's a great question. I think he's, I think, like most people, he's probably either somewhere in the middle or or both at different times. There's a lot that was likable in my dad that I sort of have taken and extracted and, and, you know, and I'm, I'm proud that it's in me. Uh, but there was a lot that was loathsome as well for me. And, and, you know, so he was selfish above all, you know, but at the same time, he was, uh, terribly proud, uh, terribly loyal and, 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 and had a very clear kind of line that you don't fucking cross. 
And and so so what that gave me, especially when I started working down in in the states and in California and stuff, was like, you know, it's a freelance gig, so they'll hold you to the standard you allow yourself to be held to, right? And when you have my dad for a father, who's like, <laughs> there's just some shit he won't suffer, <laughs> you know? They're, they're, like I just I'm I'm not getting I'm only getting fucked with up to a point, right? Like, and I could I would always always be willing to play chicken and walk away from shit just cause like, that's the way that I was raised. And, and I think that like when you don't need them more than they need you, you can kind of, now some of this is shooting myself in the foot and, and, and silly, like, you know, all I have is my balls shit. Right. But, but, but I don't know that I would have survived being down there. Like I, I, I don't think I could have, you know, because, because to do what I've had to do is like, not not difficult just like daunting especially for someone who has like social anxiety like i do you know to to have to constantly engage with hundreds of people a day or have cameras pointed at me or answer questions or go on talk shows when i know millions of people are watching you know like i i literally like i have really real bad anxiety disorder this is shit that would like if i wasn't an actor there's no way i i would be the the biggest introvert you'd, you'd never hear from me you know and so i don't think i could do what i had to do to be able to do this if it wasn't for my dad um but he's also like you said hero or villain he's also he, he was villain plenty of times too he's a you know he's a, a mean bastard um but um but God, he, uh, yeah, he, he, I'll say this when he was in the house, when I was growing up around him, I was never scared. Fe fear was never uh, a sensation I really experienced until my folks split up, you know? Um, and cause there was like, yeah, th there was no one my dad couldn't take. And so there was nobody that was ever coming to harm us. And so like, you know, so that, that's something too. So yeah. So he's somewhere in the middle, I think. I love this. Jay, by the way, I, uh, oh, I just think all of it is, um, you know, I could easily be the guy on the other side that just sees you in, in the movies, right? I love some of the roles you play. Um, but to myself, it's like I couldn't, you know, there was a lot of failure <laughs> to get, you know, to where I did with hockey. And clearly, sure. you know, it is an up and down uh, road. Um, but this is why I, I'm excited to do this and this is new to me so i appreciate this because i want to hear you know the journey because i think that's really important the anxiety thing man i'm like i'm excited like i don't even want to release this podcast yeah <laughs> you know, like yeah, I hear that's that. how i think right like it's just like i don't want to no i hear you know that. i just don't want to you know hear what people think but no no this is great that. this is great i love it oh pre i appreciate you let me you let me chat i think you know i think it's easy to see all the to, to go and, and look at the stats or someone's credits or their CV and, and, and sort of reduce their whole career down to quantifiable stuff like that. But there is like there's a whole bunch of mess on the way and in between. Right. <laughs> no, for sure. I if someone asks me like, hey, like or if someone says like, oh, I could have played. I blew my knee out in 85 at the YMCA. Like I fucking <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, you know, what I, mean? <laughs> you know what I mean, like, wait, what? Like, I feel I like I don't I hold it internally, but yeah. it's just I got to like. I got to accept that, you know, people don't understand, I guess. No, but, no. Yeah, I hear you. I, um, I, I got to tell you, when you, when you just said that about the anxiety, Jay, and um, social anxiety, and I, I, it's hard for me to comprehend that. Like, I've never suffered from depression, okay? And I hear people that, that are depressed talk about it, and I can certainly sympathize but i can't empathize now this year i i was on prednisone for something and I, when i came off it i had four days i went into a deep depression i came down too fast off of it and i gotta tell you I, i'm glad it happened because now i know the, sh the social anxiety part of it um when you say you have that and the ballsier to be able to do what you do having suffering with that social anxiety i don't I, it's hard for me to get that part how did you break through to be able to do what you do suffering from that i'll be honest uh for for a long time it was literally just sucking it up the stakes were higher for me than they necessarily 
needed to be, which was, and I, and I put stakes, I made the stakes high. Um, but also like when my parents split, you know, my, my dad took quite a, quite a nosedive. And so I, before I was 18 was kind of forced into, I was, I, I became the, the, I had to look after my family. Right. And, and so, so when I was like trying to get, you know, when I go down to LA and try to get a gig, it wasn't just, I need this job for me and for my career. And, you know, if I didn't get a gig, I, I couldn't just call it a day. If I didn't get a gig, that means like, yeah, I just, there's, there's rent to be paid and, 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 um, and people's tuition to be paid and, and, and food to be bought. And, you know, so when, like, if it was just me, I don't know that I would have cared half as much it was it was my you know my family so I I, I didn't want to let them down and so for years I would just like yeah I just accepted that it was normal to be nauseous all the time I accepted that it was normal to just either be like yeah I would either be nauseous I'd sort of like psych myself up to the point where I'm just like sailing on adrenaline uh, and then I would be exhausted and dead. And like, and, and so I knew, I knew only three kind of sensations and, and that can't last by the way. And it, and it, and it, and it doesn't last. And like what that sort of metastasized into was, uh, you know, years of like waking up every single day with butterflies in my stomach, like waking up with a start, <sighs> like every fucking day, man. And, and, um, and just, and just being at odds and dreading what I had to do that day, you know, and, and no, know, knowing that I've got to sort of meet people that I'm not comfortable with, or I don't know. So I can't be myself. And I, and, and I certainly can't let them know that I'm like scared shitless and, and I've, and I've got to be able to do this and I got to be able to like be likable and memorable. And, and then I've also got to be able to do the gig that, you know, that I want to do. And I've got to, so all this shit. Right. And I, and I started getting real bad panic attacks. I just like, it just started happening. First, it was one every couple of days. Then it was a few a week. Then it was like a few a day. And then it got to a point where like I had like half a dozen of these fucking things throughout the day where I would just like I, I uh, my hands would shake. Um, I'd get sort of super dizzy. My heart would race. I'd feel like I was about to puke or pass out or some goddamn thing. And, and I also the weirdest one. All of those things are just physical, though. They, they don't fuck with me as much as what was happening when that would happen. When I get into a panic attack. I would go through what's called disassociation or whatever, where you don't feel like you're in real life anymore. It's hard to describe, but it feels like you kind of fade. Everyone else around you in the world continues, but you're just like a ghost on the outside. I, I try to say it's like if, if life is a movie, it turns into like photographs and I, and I'm aware of it. And I'm, and I, and I, and I worry that, the second someone notices I'm freaking out, they're going to freak out, which will make me freak out more. <laughs> and I just started like awful cycle that I, I, I was too embarrassed to tell anybody about too. So I was just like dealing with it and trying to figure out my own little tricks to get through it. So I would just like tell my, I would splash cold water. I'd slap myself in the face. I would do the alphabet backwards and I would say all my vital info. And that would typically kind of bring me down. And then I stopped working. And then it stopped working. And I remember the kind of like straw that broke the camel's back in terms of like having to go get some kind of help with it was I was like auditioning for a director that I really wanted to work for in a movie I really wanted to do. And so these were like the personal kind of creative stakes I placed on myself. Like that, this one wasn't going to feed my, you know, send, send my sister to school or anything or whatever, but, but it was definitely going to be something I wanted to do. And I get there and um, the director is like, finds out I'm from Montreal, has all these nice things to say, blah, blah, blah. We start bonding. And then I, I get, I feel this thing, fucking like bile coming up in my heart and my throat. I said, can I go to the washroom? Let me just go to the washroom one second. And I run off to the washroom and I do all the things I just told you. And I come back and I like, I, I physically couldn't grab the door handle, the doorknob to get back into the room. 
I couldn't do it. And I had to like grab one hand and force it onto the other. And I just come in white as a ghost and they can tell. And then I just do the worst audition I've ever done. Cause I'm just trying to get the fucking thing over with. And I come out and my friend sees me. He's like, did you get into a fight? Like what the fuck happened? Like you were all like, I, I was just all mangled. Right. And I was like, yeah, ready to quit. And it was, you know, my manager to his credit. That's like, look, you want to quit, you quit. No one will be more supportive than me. I just want you to quit for the right reason. So he's like, so start, so talk to a shrink. And if after talking to a shrink, you still want to quit, then that's that. But talk to a shrink and see that you're sure you want to quit. Or if there's just something you need to kind of get off your chest and figure out, you know, and, um, mercifully it was that so the, the other thing, but, but yeah, it was, it still is just requires me to white knuckle it. Every time I do a talk show, every time I do a red carpet, every time I do anything where there's like a bunch of people that I don't know around, it, it beats, it beats the piss out of me still. Yeah. It's fucking exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> like you said the word, cause I, when it comes to that, I have uh it's like that. I hate people. And I, and I deal with anxiety. Like, I, I want to be alone, but I don't want to be by myself. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, this whole sociopath kind of. And then it, and then what you're saying, too, is I, and, and Nux, you being, you know, the eldest of us, I'm 39, too. It's kind of like we couldn't really talk about it for, you know, oh. I had an Irish Catholic dad, right? Like, we couldn't talk about it. It never goes away. You still deal with it. You probably deal with it in a way of today with, like, more discipline and, and you just handle it differently. But it probably that breakthrough moment was when, when you probably were able to talk about it. Yeah. Right? If I, it's a guess, I'm guessing, but like it's, it's, you, you gave an unreal uh, description of, of kind of something, you know, I, I have a similar kind of thing. I wouldn't say the panic attacks to the end there were, you know, but just that anxiety, like driving to the rink and to practice, not really wanting to go because the first initial thing that would happen with me is I'd walk in the locker room and feel like I don't deserve to be here. Yeah, like, right. I don't like, you know, like I, uh, whether it's a self-acceptance issue or what, but it's crazy that you, you know, you're doing what you're doing and, and these are the things that you have to go through. Thank it's, you. Um, and they, yeah. they, there's a name for that, for going there and thinking you're not meant to be there especially when you are, is called imposter syndrome, right? Like anybody with a kind of good, de half-decent moral compass, when they get some kind of success, feel a sort of like, oh, they got the wrong guy or, or I'm, I'm, you know, they, they, they missed this. If they knew who I wa really wa was, they wouldn't want to work with me or whatever, right? You know, but I'll tell you who never has fucking imposter syndrome, like serial killers and sociopaths <laughs> and all these fucking pricks. Like, like they, 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 those guys never question a goddamn thing. They think they're God's gift to the world. Right. And, and it's like the feeling like you're undeserved is this sort of like a hallmark. I think of having a decent sort of morality to you and, or if you ever went to Catholic school. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I did. I went to Catholic school. And certainly when you look at family of origin stuff, when I do, I look back at my relationship with my dad. And yeah. there were times, God, I felt, you know, I always tried to please him. I always tried to do something good for him. So he'd give me the pat in the back. Right. Um, and there were times I, I felt like I let him down. Did you, oh, yeah. did you feel that way with your dad at all? Um, so I, or, or I, I more, he I, let you down. I would say with my dad, it was the second thing yeah. with my, with my mom. However, I, 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 I am still to this day. It's, it is the worst like thing, you know, like I, 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 if I ever did okay in school, it was, be, it was out of fear of letting mom down. Right. Like that, that is just like, I never, you know. I'm a mama's boy. And so I, and, and I, I never wanted to let her down. And so that would like, that was something I had to kind of get past in my own way was like, you know, I, I think like, look, I want, I want my mom to be proud of me. I want my wife to be proud of me. I want everybody to be proud of me, but I, but I honestly, like, I think part of the thing, hopefully the, the work towards that I, that I constantly doing is just like, you know, at the end of the day, I got to be psyched. That, that, that's kind of, you know, like I, I want to be a good person and I want to be important in everybody's life. But in terms of like material things or like success in a thing I've chosen to take on, like, you know, did, did it, did the job I want to do, did I do it well? And do I, you know, 
I the, I try to make it so that all that matters is that I'm I'm proud of it myself. But still, to this day, I will like stand in front of my my wife or my you know, and I'll be like, "Yeah, did did you like it though? Tell me, just tell me you like it. <laughs> tell me you thought the thing was funny or whatever, you know." Well, you want to be honest, right? Like it's kind of like I don't know. It's exhausting to you know. Tell, make sure everyone thinks you're okay when you're not, right? Yeah, like, that's, that's what it. I do. That's I fucking do that. I'm doing great yeah. when I know inside. I'm like, fuck, yeah. you know. But yeah, I get it, man. Your um, your mom uh, again. I I love what your mom said to you <laughs> as a young boy. She said, "Try and look for a job you would do for free and get paid for it." It seems like you've done that. Now yes. you also are quoted as saying that you like writing strong women. Because as a straight male, there's nothing more attractive to me than a strong girl. Now, obviously, your mom, the backbone and her wherewithal to, at one point, put all that other stuff aside when it was just Serge and mom. But now uh, Jay and Taylor come along. Your mom really took that mantle of, mother and father in a sense yeah. did she not oh did did she ever yeah I, I, absolutely she she we, my sister and i are 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 very very fortunate to have been raised by who we were raised by um you know she she just sort of like yeah she's just hard as fuck man and she just never suffered fools and so so now this can mean sometimes that she could be sort of too exacting or or have a you know very, very high standards that inevitably you're going to not, you, you will fail to meet at some point. Um, but it was all because, so she, she was raised by good parents and, and my, my grandparents, you know, I, I was very, very lucky to have them in my life down the street from me every day for like five years when I was a kid. And that was the best thing ever because my, 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 my granddad was a, you know, my granddad was a war hero and, um, and a, and a, but who was also at the same time a very, very, very mild, quiet, soft-spoken gentleman. And, you know, he would, he would, I would ask him questions on the, you know, when he was just taking a nap on the couch, like, Granddad, what did you do when you ran out of bullets? And he'd say, oh, use whatever we could, scissors. And, and it went, and I immediately was like, oh, you killed a German with a pair of scissors once, you know, like, <laughs> what the, you know, and, and, and then, but that, but it was a hard thing to reconcile with the guy that never raised his voice to anybody, you know, and, and so my mother, I don't know, she was just like, she, she made, always made sure we were fed, always made sure we were, you know, clean and educated and always like said, you know, just cause we're is what my grandmother's sort of saying. Just because you're working class doesn't mean you have no class, right? And and so so it was just a sort of like a, it all came from a sense of self-respect and knowing that we kind of like no one's gonna give us anything either. That it, it that that if 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 any good is gonna come or anything you know wh whatever you want in the world you have to get it somehow. You can't ex expect it. You know I I remember being a kid and asking my mother, you know seeing all these like American movies, you know, I was like, Hey, so when I graduate high school, will you and dad, you know, send me to, to, to university? And she laughed and she said, no, uh, of course not. She said, if you decide you want to go to university, I will support you. I will tell you what job you should get to make a bunch of money. I'll tell you how to save it so you can pay for it. But no, I'm not paying for anything. At that point, you're a grown-up, and you if you want to go to school, it'll be because you want to and you, you work for it. I said, okay, but when I'm 16 and I, and, I get, and I get my driver's license, all the kids in the movies, their parents buy them a first car. And she said, no, once again, if you decide you want, you want to drive, you'll get a license, you'll get a job to pay for a car. I'll tell you which car to get. I'll help you figure out the down payments, but that's all you. And so I just like, I don't know. I, 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 and I'm not going to be one of these people that shits on young people now and says nobody wants to work. How the fuck do I know? I'm sure that everybody wants to work as much as they used to. And just, and I'm sure there's just as many lazy people as there used to be. I'm sure the the metric is exactly the fucking same. All I know is for me, any, anything that was going to come was going to come because I wanted it to come. Um, and, and I was lucky that like, I took nothing for granted, but also I was always told my whole life, my whole fucking life 
that you are what's going to get you there. You know, like it, th- there's nothing you can't do. Like if you want to make movies for a living, you will make movies. If you want to, you know, climb Everest, you will climb Everest. Like the, 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 you have infinite potential and I believe you should do it, whatever the fuck you want to do. Um, but any success is a hundred percent on you. Right. And so I, I, I'm very, very, very lucky because when I go into adulthood, you know, life never runs out of ways to kick the fuck out of you. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and so like, I'm glad that like I was raised with, if nothing else, a a thick skin and, and a sort of sense of pride in myself. You know, some, a lot of people, yeah, I, the whole, it's on you success and you can be anything you want. I'm a, you know, true believer of that. A lot of people say like, oh, I could, you know, I was good at this, but I, you know, I, I, you know, I was, had to make money. I had to work. They have all these excuses. People want to buy the dream house, but not want to have to fix it. Right. Like they don't want to, right. Like they, they want to see, like they could do something, but they see ahead of time how much work that's going to be. Um, and it's just like, oh, you just really didn't want to do it. That's all you had to say. Well, and, <laughs> like, and, and also always from the outside looking in, you, you never see, it's really hard to see the shitty, the shitty, tedious, everyday bit of it, right? Like, you know, I, 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 I think a lot of people love to say, oh, I'm going to write something or, or I'm, I, I'm, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, okay, but that, that does mean sitting down and doing it every friggin' day and like, and not being just psyched that you have an idea. Is this idea good enough? And all of these different things like there's, and then if you're able to finish the fucking thing, then, then, then you've got to hope somebody else thinks it's worth doing and, and worth making and worth funding. And, and that'll, that can be fuck God knows how long, right? Like <laughs> it is, it is, you know, yeah, it's just, I think some gigs, that are different than the normal, you know, are very colorful and exciting. And, and of course people would want to, you know, that, of course that seems like a thing that everybody would want to do. It just, it, it also just like anything else, it has its version of like, yeah, having to, having to stock the freezer every fucking morning or whatever. Yeah. So that family dynamic and yeah, we've talked about mom and dad, but your dad loving hockey and getting into hockey your passion for the Montreal Canadiens, that team, and hockey but in general. Haps. I look at Dennis, Dennis Leary, who you worked with, uh, is a huge Bruins fan. Yes, he is. I don't know if he's as much a hockey fan, though, as you are. I think he beats me, Chris, to be honest. I think no, he no, no. Hockey, me. hockey, though? Yes, I know hockey. he's a Bruins fan. No, no, no. Hockey, really? hockey. This guy. <laughs> no, he puts me to shame. I was floored by it. I, I was legitimately floored by it. There is not a single person playing <laughs> hockey in the Western world right now that he doesn't know at least a piece of, a piece about. Like, like he has, he, all he reads, here, here's, the, here's where he beats me. I read mostly... Uh, World War Two and medieval history books like that. That that's my stuff. Okay, so that that's what I'm interested in. I'm with you. So Dennis reads as much, if not more, than I do. He's a really voracious reader. He's a like, uh, you know, a dozen, two dozen books a year guy. He reads constantly, but all he reads is about hockey. There isn't a hockey book or essay published that he hasn't read. He, we start talking about the Summit series, and we start talking about 72, and he's like, well, have you read this one? And he lists this title. I was like, no. He's like, well, so it was published by a, a university in Manitoba. Not a lot of people have read it, but to me, for my he goes, <laughs> it's a bit academic. You have to prepare yourself. It's a dry academic paper. But in terms of history of 72, Summit series, there's not a better thing written. Like... How the fuck? Like, I don't know this shit. And I live up here and he does it. Like, so he is a tr- legitimate academic student historian of the game in a, in a really, really special, earnest way. And it's something like he and I, I'm very lucky. Like, when I did that show with him and Jerry D, the, the three of us, because Jerry, Jerry knows his hockey too. And Jerry's very good at hockey. And so, like, pretty much all of last year's playoffs every single day was this just stupid three-way text between the three of us. Like we, that, like we all chirp each other because Jerry's Leafs and, and I'm Habs and obviously Leary's Bruins. And, and 
Um, but yeah, I, I am definitely like, if the Habs or Canada aren't playing, I have, I, I will often not watch. If a hockey game is on in front of Dennis, whoever the fuck it is, he'll watch it. That's amazing. I always just looked at him as a Bruins fan because he loved Cam Neely and he was close yes. with Neely. And yeah. so, yeah, that is funny. Uh-huh. He's a big fan of yours specifically. Speaking of Chris and, and his role in the game, obviously I know, uh, you know, your ties to the movie Goon uh, in the in the role of fighting. You know, for me, I can't judge. I know the fighting's kind of been kind of weeded out a little bit. Um, but I understand the respect. Of, I wasn't a fighter. I didn't have to fight. I was asking no, guys. No, you weren't a fighter, Tim. No, no. I was asking guys what they were doing <laughs> after the game and shit. Like you know, like. Um, but no, I. But I understand the re- in respect. Obviously, that role just because you know yeah, I, I was same. fortunate to play. You know, I was play. I played with guys that were the toughest guys in the league. Didn't even know there was a puck out there. They might play like thirty <laughs> seconds. <laughs> But it gave guys like like I could like when they were in the lineup I could fucking skate in a speedo if I wanted to like no one you know what I mean like and and so you know with all that being said it's like what's your take today on on how that has gone with fighting? So I it starts with number one I got to answer as like any answer I'll give is as a fan right so it's ultimately none of my business because I don't have to do it. And, and I, and so I have to give it this important little asterisk grain of salt caveat that whatever I'm saying is the same as if I chime in on another country's politics or a war that's going on, I'm not going to, I risk nothing. So it's none of my fucking business. So, but that being said, um, I, I adored hockey fighting. I was raised in a house that loved it. My dad, that's the role he played on every hockey team he played on. Right. And so like not Nylon, no joke was like one of the favorite players. Like in my household when I was a kid, this was one of the heroes. This is one of the on, honest to God legends and lions in my house that like, that I, you know, you don't hear every name on every team constantly. You don't hear every name on your team constantly, but you hear who your parents love. Right. So you hear a certain name a lot. And Chris's was one of those names that I heard every day of my life in my house. Okay. So I, I am, and I, and I, couldn't have made the two movies I made without sort of having an affinity for that role. All right. Now, however, if the boys decide or doctors who know what they're looking at, and I, I didn't, you know, you know how many days I went to med school zero, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you know, you know how experienced I am with diagnosing concussion syndrome. Absolutely not. Right. So if experts are saying there's a thing, and guys feel a thing happening to them, who the fuck am I to say, hey, keep doing this? Because I find it entertaining and my dad loved it. Like, it's none of my fucking business, right? Like, the 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 world within where... Uh, the people who have to do this will decide if it has to be done, right? And so... and But I've also always believed that hockey in... in that fighting in hockey was kind of more democratic than than a lot of um, hockey outsiders would paint it as, right? Like, a lot of people would, would lump hockey fighting in with, like, headshots and cheap shots and boarding and all of these things that can really fuck a guy up and the guy didn't had no choice in the matter, right? A, a lot of hockey fights, pretty democratic. A lot of hockey fights, two guys are fighting, they've both chosen to fight, right? And... So if they want, it's all about what the guys who are going to have to do it want to do, right? If they want to do it, they should do it. However, if they don't want to do it, they shouldn't do it. And if we know generationally that it does an unpleasant thing that people don't want to keep, don't want to have keep happening, who the fuck am I to say you shouldn't, you should, you got to keep doing this. So that's why the second goon movie is all about, you know, when your body and your head's all fucked up from doing this, like we, we, it, it, it would be irresponsible to have made a movie that was kind of a love letter to this thing without showing at least, at least a tiny Hollywood version of the cost, some of the cost that 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 it incurs, because this is not a job that you can do and skate away scot free at the end, no matter what, right? And so, I love watching it. I get excited when it happens. I still check hockey fights (laughs) routinely as a website. Um, But if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. 
And Chris, I, I was Chris when I said like didn't know, they didn't know there was a puck out there. I was not referring to you. Oh, I know. I know you had. Come on. I know you had twenty something goals. The kid could uh, dangle. You know, I could dangle. Are you kidding me? <laughs> fucking scoring a fucking penalty shot at the forum. It, there's no better feeling. People think winning a fight. Like, listen, I love to fight. I loved it. I love sticking up for guys. I love being there for guys. What I will say though, there is no better feeling for a hockey player than to score a goal. For me, that was the ultimate for me. When I scored a goal, especially let's say an important goal or a goal, not not a goal that makes it 5-1 and you broke someone's shutout. No, but an important goal is no better feeling. And then, you know, when it's funny. And Jay, I go back to that movie and... This is the old the, the old uh, quote from Herbert Spencer. Uh, there is a principle which is proof against all arguments, which is a bar against all information, and that principle is contempt prior to investigation. Right. Now, I had that contempt for this movie. <laughs> I know. And, and, I know you did. And, and not so much the movie itself, the but name. The, it was the, the name Goon. Yeah. I know. I know. And and I remember I was asked on radio and I said, I just don't go for that. I, yeah. I, it's a derogatory term. And I'll tell you where it came from. One other thing. I didn't, I, when I looked at guys who fought and did that job, I, I knew them personally. And I could never allow myself or someone else to call them a goon. I hated that word. Now, that being said, for me, the, the worst incident devil was I was at the Hall of Fame and I was going to the ceremony and um, in the hotel I see a guy I play with Marcel Dion and Marcel the little fat man I used to call him because he is a little <laughs> fat man and the little fat man come up hey Mas how you doing buddy how's it going everything and his wife was there and he says to his wife oh do you remember he said oh yeah she said I remember the goon, Chris Nylin, the goon. I was like, you fucking, it fucking pissed me off. Yeah. I and I just turned the other, and I focused on Marcel and I continued to talk to him. I, I basically ignored her, but that pissed me off. That's the contempt I have for the word. But in watching the movie afterwards and, and certainly reading your book and understanding what you were doing there, I could appreciate it. Oh, and good. I do that appreciate the movie. I I, that I means, really do. That means a lot. I'm I'm obviously I, I I'm biased, but I'm I'm very proud of both flicks. Obviously, the one when I directed the second one, I'm I'm even especially more proud of. But but what we were trying to do, man, with that we, you know, we that word we thought it could get stolen back, right? And and yeah. it was all about the guys that you kind of dismiss with that word. Um, but but. What does that person actually look like up close? And 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 this this shitty word that we've come up with to talk about the guy that is most representative of team spirit, the guy that chips are up, chips are down, whatever the score, will still fucking go out and play the shit of his life. Like there is no truer, more honest kind of embodiment of what if if there is such a thing as team spirit. You know, if that's not just some hokey bullshit, if it exists, it is, it is, uh, it, it is represented purely in a, in a hockey enforcer. Um, and, and to call them a goon is such a shitty way to dismiss all of that. And so we, we kind of like, it, it was deliberate kind of using that name, uh, because we were like, yeah, you think it's a goon? Come sit down and, and see what it actually looks like. Fuck yeah. I love that. <laughs> I think the best guys in the locker room were the, were the goons. Hey, um, but, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> kick your ass. No, I, I they were the best guys. In sure. my, and certainly in my experience, the guys with the least amount of ego and the easiest guys to hang out with of pro athletes would be hockey fighters. You know, like I made two of these movies, and so I've gotten to know a lot of hockey players, gotten to work with some, and I can tell you, like... <laughs> I can tell you who's a guy that like I want to hang around with, and who a guy who's who's not a guy that I want to hang around with, and 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 w- w- without fail, without fail, the fighters were always the nicest, most polite, most punctual, easiest guys to be around. So I, I, I take take that for what it's worth. Yeah, Chris, that's how I feel. I too. I have to agree. 
<laughs> I bet. I have to agree. I bet. And I I agree because I do I know a lot of them and really good people. There's a lot of yes, good people. Correct. A lot of good people in the game. Just hockey players in general. When you look at all the major sports, you know, in your book, when um, certainly I there's so so many good things in here, and I. I never realized, I guess, the affinity, first of all, your dad had for me. Yeah, and then kind of that gets passed to you in a sense. Um, and it kind of blew me away. And then here we are in the book. And I remember this night, uh, just for last festival here in Montreal, Tim, um, comedians come out, they do their gigs, and Jay was hosting one night. And Mr. Molson had me come and represent the Canadians and give Jay an honorary Canadians Jersey with his name on it and the C and, and I come out and presented it to him on stage. And wouldn't you know, he got down on his fucking knees and was bowing to me like this. I'm like, hello, okay, get up. Will you? But I was like, that's when it, it kind of hit me. And then when you wrote the book and, you you included that in the book. It just it, it blew me away how much that you really were a Habs fan. And in yeah. the book, actually, I wrote uh, um, on the back cover. I wrote, "Born into it is a raw look into the a life of a true Habs fan." Jay's passion, love, and loyalty for the Habs is right up there with Jeff Molson's, the owner. I mean, he's been there since he's been a little snotty-nosed rich kid from Westmount. But it's a must-read for anyone who thinks they're a Habs fan. It's very nice. And Jay doesn't think he's a Habs fan. I don't think he is. I know he is. Thank you. And just when I, I, I when you talk about it, the passion and your dad, Serge, and and your mom, everybody, the family, and I just think it's so cool. And living in Toronto now. Out of Montreal, you're in T.O. Uh, you uh, have said that it's weakened your devotion to the Habs. How was that? Oh, Jesus. Did I say? Okay. So <laughs> uh -huh. what I meant by that was um, <laughs> just by virtue of the fact that I wasn't. Um, I, uh, I weakened it is a very relative thing when it ruled my life as opposed to just a thing that rules my life slightly. That's horseshit, by the way, I was wrong uh, when I said it. Um, no, all, what I meant when I said that was I moved from a city where uh, three times a week, I knew what everybody I knew was doing at seven or seven thirty, Right. Like, and, and, and everybody was watching hockey and it was like how I kind of split up my week. Um, I, every newspaper was about the game from the night before. And so I moved to a city where that just wasn't the case. And so, yeah, I would like it, it sort of I was like, oh, maybe I'll watch a movie tonight once in a while. Uh, mm -hmm. um, but but, you know, it's to, to truth be told now that this is years on since I said that, um, it's kind of made it stronger in a lot of ways too, because it's like brought out this awful, it's increased, I should say, not brought out. Uh, it's increased the troll tendency that's in every Habs fan vis-a-vis -vis the Toronto fan base. Uh, um, you know, Habs fans are so fucking petty, right? Like you, you would think the having, you would think having 24 Stanley Cubs that, that we wouldn't need to be petty. Right. But I, I tell me if I'm, tell me if you think this is horseshit. Habs winning is equaled, sometimes surpassed, by the Leafs losing. Like, Habs fans take just as much joy in a Leafs loss as they do in a Habs victory. That's horseshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't nuts. think that's... I do. I certainly do. I know that when... I know that when Centennial Plaza... When they started Centennial Plaza in front of the fucking Bell Center... I got two bricks out there, by the way. The first... The first... They they turned down my first brick. They said I I wrote you you got to type in what you wanted the brick to say and I did and uh, then they called me and I was on set in the states and they said um, did you you know we're calling about the, your brick in Centennial Plaza and I'm like oh yeah and they said did you really think we could put fuck Toronto on a on a brick and I and I, and I was and like they wouldn't uh, let you. 
they wouldn't let me. And I said, well, you got to give me credit for trying. And they said, do you honestly think you were the only one? And I was like, wow, there you go. 100th anniversary of the Habs. Anybody could put anything they want on a brick and a whole bunch of us wanted to put fuck Toronto. Um, so, yeah. It, it, <laughs> I can identify. Yeah. Um, so it weakened it to a degree, but it also it also forged it, uh, vulcanized it in another degree. But you're not wrong. I don't watch it as much as I used to. Just given that I'm here, it's on less, and sometimes I don't need to watch the Habs in Florida in one of those fucking boring ass games in the crawl towards New Year's. But anyway, is there any actor? Is there any actors you have like a rivalry with, like from Toronto? Oh, um. Yeah, well, there's a whole there, there. There's like, yeah, there's a few. There's a few. You you get to know some of the celeb kind of hockey fans. Um, you know, Leary and I talk a lot of shit to each other. Jerry D and I talk a lot of shit to each other. Um, fucking when I see what's his face, John Hamm. You know, although like the Habs oh, in St. Louis, ha- right? Yeah, but but John the Habs in the St. Louis have mean nothing to each other. So so yeah. you know, um, you know that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of who else is a big like Leafs fan that I've talked a bunch of shit to. Ah, oh, everybody in my city, everybody <laughs> that lives here, everyone in my wife's family as well. Actor, writer, stand-up comedian, director, producer. What, what one? If you could just do that, the rest of your life would it be? All, all I've ever wanted is to write and direct movies. Uh, specifically horror movies and action movies. So all, all I want to really like, if 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 that if there was that moment where the genie said, "I'll grant you wishes," all three of mine would be to to write and direct movies. They'd all be movies I'd want to write and direct. So so that that is when I feel the most comfortable. That is when all of the anxiety that I started this podcast talking about it all goes away for me. That then I can face hundreds of people, then the stakes can be as high as the universe and I will meet them head on. Um, then, then there is no difficulty. I can't sustain myself through because I adore it. And it's what I feel that I was like meant to do. Right. And so, so you, you talk about scoring a penalty at the forum, you know, I, I, I for, for, for me, it's like watching my, you know, being in the audience and, and seeing a scene that I directed that I think we pulled off and watching connect with people, no better feeling on earth. And so I'll do, I, I would do that as long as they let me. That's awesome. And I, I hope, I hope you get to do that. Um, so you are relaxed every Thank day you. and you don't have Thank that you. anxiety. I hope uh, for you in the future that things just. Thank you. Keep getting better as far as your business. Yeah, goes. Jay. Honestly, I, I to yeah piggyback off that comment there, which is amazing. Is is you know to hear you a little you know pers- get to personally know you through this podcast Likewise. alone. I mean, it's 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 inspiring. Likewise, to, to thank you. Hear, to hear how you uh, you know to, to to acknowledge it and then how you carry yourself and and it's awesome. Thank yeah, you. It's awesome what you do. I appreciate you Great saying stuff. that, man. And thank you for having me, boys. Jay, um, awesome stuff again. I appreciate your time and it, 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 consider you a friend and uh, I Likewise, appreciate Chris. that. Awesome stuff.